بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما Last week we spoke about the letters that the Prophet وسلم, sent to different leaders and from those letters as we mentioned last week, was the letter that the Prophet ﷺ sent to Al-Harith ibn Abi Shummar al-Ghassani, who was the ruler of Asham. And we mentioned that Asham, or the greater Syria area, it was ruled by this man, Al-Harith ibn Abi Shummar al-Ghassani, but it was under the umbrella of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was ruled by Hiraqal. So when the Prophet ﷺ sent this message to Al-Harith ibn Abi Shummar Al-Ghassani, Al-Harith rejected the letter with arrogance. And later on, when the Prophet ﷺ sent his companion Al-Harith ibn Umair Al-Azdi to Busra to deliver a letter to the ruler of Busra, on the way there, this messenger that the Prophet ﷺ sent, Al-Harith ibn Umair Al-Azdi, he came across Shurahbil ibn Amr al-Ghassani. Now Shurahbil ibn Amr al-Ghassani, he was also from the Ghassasina, from the same group of people whose ruler, Al-Harith ibn Abi Shummar, had just rejected the letter of the Prophet So they had this enmity and this hatred towards the Prophet and towards the Muslims and towards Al-Islam. So when Shurahbil ibn Amr al-Ghassani came across Al-Harith ibn Umair al-Azdi who was on his way to Busra to deliver a letter to the ruler of Busra. Shurahbil ibn Amr al-Ghassani questioned Al-Harith ibn Umair al-Azdi and he found out that he is a Muslim and that he was sent by the Prophet wasallam, that he was an ambassador of the Prophet wasallam. So what did Shurahbil ibn Amr al-Ghassani do? He killed Al-Harith ibn Umair al-Azdi. He killed the ambassador and killing an ambassador was something that was considered one of the worst types of crimes a person can, can, can commit. Messengers and ambassadors had an unwritten rule of safety. They had this promise that they would be safe. You don't kill the messengers, you don't kill the ambassadors. But Shurahbil ibn Amr al-Ghassani, he killed the messenger of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this is a terrible crime. So you see the ghasasina, the hatred and the enmity that they have towards the Muslims. First their ruler rejects the letter of the Prophet ﷺ arrogantly. And then one of their members, Shurahbil ibn Amr, he kills the ambassador of the Prophet ﷺ. Now this is not it. Later on, the Prophet ﷺ sent a da'wah mission. He sent 14 of his companions to the northern part of the Arabian Peninsula on a da'wah mission. Not to fight, but to give da'wah. And when the Ghassasina, when they came to know that there was this group of Muslims around their area, they killed all of them. Peaceful da'wah mission, 14 people. And the Ghassasina, they went and they attacked them and they killed all of them except one. One of them was able to escape. And he came back to Medina and he informed the Prophet ﷺ about what happened. So now, due to all of these events, 
the arrogant rejection of the ruler of the Ghassasina, of the letter of the Prophet and then the murder of the ambassador of the Prophet by one of the Ghassasina. And now the Ghassasina had killed a number of the companions of the Prophet who were on this peaceful da'wah mission. You see the hatred and the enmity of the Ghassasina towards the Muslims here. So now the Prophet ﷺ, he made the intention to fight the Ghassasina. He made the intention for jihad against the Ghassasina due to their evil and their shameless treachery and betrayal. And the battle that took place is known as the Battle of Mu'ta. Mu'ta is an area that is in modern day Jordan and this is where the battle took place. Alright, so now just to give some background about the Ghassasina and their army. The Ghassasina had a huge fighting force, huge army of 100,000 men. So Al-Harith ibn Abi Shummar, Al-Ghassani, the ruler of Asham, he had an army of 100,000 men. And not only that, he also had the support of Hiraqal. He had the support of the Roman Empire because Asham was under the umbrella of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was the largest and most powerful empire in the world at that time. So Al-Harith ibn Abi Shummar, he had a hundred thousand of his own men. Plus, if he needed more, he could ask Hiraqal to send reinforcements and support from the army of the Roman Empire. So when the Prophet ﷺ announced jihad against the Ghassasina, this was in the month of Jumad al-Ula in the eighth year of the Hijrah. And the Prophet ﷺ sent an army of 3,000 men to go forth and to fight the Ghassasina. 3,000 men from the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. But the army of the Ghassasina was much, much larger than the Muslim army. They had 100,000 men. And that's only their own army, the Ghassasina army. If you add the reinforcements from the Roman Empire, it's even more than that. So the Muslim army is greatly outnumbered. The Prophet ﷺ sent 3,000 men. Now the Prophet ﷺ himself, he did not accompany this expedition. Rather, he appointed Zayd ibn al-Haritha to be the commander of this army. And... The Prophet ﷺ mentioned some specific instructions here. He gave the command to Zayd ibn al-Haritha and then he instructed, if Zayd is killed, then the command goes to Ja'far ibn Abi Talib, the cousin of the Prophet ﷺ, the brother of Ali ibn Abi Talib, Ja'far ibn Abi Talib. So if Zayd is killed, then the command of the army goes to Ja'far ibn Abi Talib. If Ja'far ibn Abi Talib is killed, then the command of the army goes to Abdullah ibn Rawaha. And if Abdullah ibn Rawaha is killed, then the Muslims have to decide who they want to take command after that. So the Prophet ﷺ mentioned three names and he said if these three are killed, then the Muslims have to decide who will take command after that. Now as the Prophet ﷺ was sending the army off, there was a Jewish man who came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, Ya Abul Qasim, we read in the Torah that whenever a prophet names names in this type of a way, when he's sending out an expedition and he names the commander, and then he says, if this commander is killed, then such and such person takes the command. And if such and such person is killed, then such and such person takes command. If a prophet gives names like this, then all of those people that he named, they will be killed. 
And this is what used to happen with Bani Israel. And then the Jewish man turned to Zayd ibn al-Haritha and he said, if Muhammad is really a prophet, if he's really a prophet, then you're not coming home. You're going to die. And Zayd ibn al-Haritha radiallahu anhu said, Ashhadu annahu nabiyun sadiqun bar. He said, I bear witness that he is a prophet and he is truthful and he is righteous. So this is the expedition that the Prophet ﷺ sent forth. So he gave these instructions and he sent them off on the morning of Jumu'ah. It was the morning of Jumu'ah. So the army, they set forth. They left Medina and they went towards Asham. Now Abdullah ibn Rawaha he decided to stay in Medina for a few hours. The Prophet ﷺ sent out the army in the morning on the day of Jumu'ah. But Abdullah ibn Rawaha thought, okay, I'll just stay for a few hours so I can pray Salatul Jumu'ah with the Prophet Then after Salatul Jumu'ah, I will ride fast and I will catch up with the rest of the army. So this was the plan of Abdullah ibn Rawaha. So he stayed back in Medina for a few more hours. And the time for Salatul Jumu'ah came and the Prophet was giving the Jumu'ah khutbah and he noticed that Abdullah ibn Rawaha was there. And he was surprised because he knows that he had sent off the army in the morning. So what was Abdullah ibn Rawaha doing here at the time of Jumu'ah? So then the Prophet وسلم, he went to him and he asked him, Ma khallafak? What kept you here in Medina? Why didn't you go with the rest of the army? And then Abdullah ibn Rawaha radiallahu anhu, he said, Kuntu uridu an usalli al Jumu'ah ma'ak. He said, I wanted to pray Salatul Jumu'ah with you, Ya Rasulullah. And then after Salatul Jumu'ah, I would go fast and I would catch up with the rest of the army. They have a long distance to cover so I can easily catch up with them. Then the Prophet said to Abdullah, he said, لَوْ أَنْفَقْتَ مَا فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا مَا أَدْرَكْتَ غَدْوَتَهُمْ That even if you were to spend everything on this earth in charity, you would not be able to get the reward that they got in these few hours of traveling in the morning. So this shows the great reward of setting out in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for jihad. That it's even a greater reward than staying and praying Salatul Jumu'ah with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam himself. It just goes to show the greatness of jihad fi sabilillah. Also regarding this battle, the battle of Mu'tah, it's important to note that this was the first battle where Khalid ibn al-Walid, Sayfullah, participated in this battle as a Muslim. The battles before, like the battle of, of Uhud, Khalid ibn al-Walid was on the side of the Kuffar at that time. But now, Khalid ibn al-Walid had accepted Islam and this is the first battle that Khalid ibn al-Walid is participating as a Muslim. So this is very important as well. Alright, so when the ruler of the Ghassasina, when he received the news that the Muslim army was coming to fight them, he sent a message to Hiraqal. He sent a message to Hiraqal, who was the ruler of the Roman Empire. And he said in his message that the Muslims are coming to attack us, so send us help from the Roman soldiers. So now, in this situation, the kufr, the disbelief of Hiraqal, it became clear. If you remember, when the Prophet ﷺ had sent a letter to Hiraqal, Hiraqal sent a message back with the ambassador 
of the Prophet ﷺ to tell the Prophet ﷺ that I really believe in Islam in my heart, but I can't really become a Muslim because then I will lose my kingdom. But I truly believe in my heart that there is no one worthy of worship except Allah and that Muhammad ﷺ is the messenger of Allah. But the Prophet ﷺ, when he received this message from Hiraqal, he said, The enemy of Allah has lied. He's not really a Muslim. So now the fact that he was not really a Muslim, now it became clear. When the leader of the Ghassasina sent a message to Hiraqal to send more soldiers for reinforcements to support them to fight against the Muslims, what did Hiraqal do? If he really believed Islam in his heart, he would have tried to convince the leader of Ghassasina or he would have actually ordered the leader of the Ghassasina because he's the, he's the emperor of the Roman Empire, Hiraqal. He could tell the leader of the Ghassasina what to do and he would have to listen to him. He could have just told him, no, don't fight the Muslims. And that would have been it. But did he do that? No. When the leader of the Ghassasina asked Hiraqal to send more soldiers from the Roman soldiers to help him fight against the Muslims, Hiraqal said, yes, I will send you soldiers. He sent 100,000 more soldiers from the Roman Empire to support the Ghassasina against the Muslims. So now the Ghassasina, they already had 100,000 of their own soldiers. And now Hiraqal sent 100,000 more as reinforcements. Can you imagine how huge this army became? 200,000 soldiers. 200,000 soldiers. And from those 200,000 soldiers, 50,000 of them were horsemen. Huge army. The Muslims had never faced an army even close to this size before. So the Muslims were vastly outnumbered here. The Muslims were only 3,000. And this army that they were going to face was 200,000. Look how outnumbered they are. So when the Muslims approached and they came to know the numbers of the army, they didn't know how big this army was. But when they came to know how many they were against, an army of 200,000, they decided to have a meeting on how to proceed. What should we do? They came to know that they were going to face an army of 200,000 soldiers. So they decided to hold a meeting to decide what to do, how to move forward. And this meeting took place in the city of Ma'an which is in modern-day Jordan, modern-day Jordan. So when they discussed what to do, they came up with two options. There are two choices we have. Either we just go and we attack. We attack or we send a message back to the Prophet ﷺ and we inform him of what the situation is and we wait for further instructions from him or we wait for reinforcements from him. So these were the two options that they came up with. Retreating and going back was not even mentioned by any of them. That was not even a choice to retreat. Either they go and fight or they send a message back to the Prophet ﷺ and wait for further instructions from him or they wait for more reinforcements to come. But retreating and turning back, that was not even discussed at all. So it just shows the courage and the bravery that these men had. They're only 3,000 and they're going to fight 200,000 but they're ready to do that. They're ready to do that. They don't mind being killed in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rather, this is an honor for them. So Abdullah ibn Rawaha radiallahu an, he said, let's do both. Let's attack them and also we'll send a message back to the Prophet sallallahu informing him of the situation and he can give us more instructions or he can send reinforcements or whatever he wants to do. We can do both, but we will attack. And if we all die, okay, we all die. We all become shuhada, we all become martyrs. There's, there's no problem in this. So this is what they decided to do. 
they decided to set up their camp in a small village uh, called Mu'ta. The small village called Mu'ta, which is in modern day Jordan. So they waited there for the army of the Ghassasina and the reinforcements from the Roman Empire to arrive. And finally they arrived. Now that when the Muslims saw this army, they had never seen such a huge army in their lives. They said, what kind of an army is this? Where is the end of this army? They couldn't see the end of this army. This is how huge it was. And when they saw that army and they felt a little despair at the size of this army, one of the great companions of the Prophet ﷺ, Thabit ibn Akram who was one of, the, one of the fighters who participated in the battle of Badr. He said, it's not about numbers. I was at Badr. We were greatly outnumbered at Badr as well. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us victory. It's not about numbers. It's about Iman. It's about Taqwa. It's about Tawakkul ala Allah. Don't worry about their numbers. Let us go. Bismillah. And this talk reinvigorated the Muslims. It re-energized the Muslims. And then they were ready to fight. Yeah, we can fight. So Zayd ibn al-Haritha, who was the commander of this army, he organized the army as usual in five sections. The way that they would organize the armies is that they would keep a front, a back, a middle, a right flank, and a left flank. So there were five parts. The front, the back, the right, the left, and the middle. So Zayd radiallahu anhu, he organized his army in this way. In the morning after Salatul Fajr, the Muslim army attacked the kuffar. And they caught them off guard. The kuffar were, were not ready to be attacked so early in the morning, right after Salatul Fajr. And the Muslims, alhamdulillah, they were able to kill many of the kuffar. And fighting went on all day from Fajr to Maghrib. And then when nightfall came, when it became dark, both sides retreated back to their camps. So the kuffar army, even though they were so huge, they were 200,000 men, they were amazed at the fighting of the Muslims. That there are so few of them, yet still they were, they were able to inflict so much damage and casualties upon them. So they were amazed at this. They, they thought to themselves, are these humans or are they jinns? It came to that level. The next day, the Muslims did the same thing. Quickly after Salat al-Fajr, they attacked. And the kuffar were caught off guard and the Muslims were able to uh, inflict a lot of casualties upon the kuffar. So the second day, it was the same thing. And this lasted for five days. Five days, the Muslims attacking quickly after Salat al-Fajr and inflicting heavy casualties upon the kuffar. But still, even though the Muslims killed a great number of them, remember how huge their army was. It was 200,000 people. So even if the Muslims were able to kill a few hundred every day, still, in the end, it was a drop in the bucket compared to the complete size of the army of the kuffar. So on the sixth day, the kuffar, they prepared themselves early. They saw that five days, every day, the Muslims are attacking immediately after the dawn, after Salat al-Fajr. So on the sixth day, they said, okay, we're going to be ready for it this time. So they made their preparations earlier on in the night. And on the sixth day, the kuffar attacked the Muslims before the Muslims could attack them. And on that day, it was the heaviest day of fighting in the battle of Mu'tah, the sixth day. It was the heaviest day. And the Muslims, they fought valiantly. But on this day, the Muslims, they suffered a lot of casualties on the sixth day. 
Zayd ibn al-Haritha, the commander of the army, he fought bravely and he inflicted a number of casualties upon the kuffar, but eventually he was martyred. So Zayd ibn al-Haritha, he died in this battle. And then, according to the instructions of the Prophet Ja'far ibn Abi Talib he took the command and he took the flag and he fought valiantly as well. But there were so many kuffar surrounding them that eventually one of the kuffar cut off the right hand of Ja'far. And then Ja'far transferred the flag to his left hand and he continued to fight and then his left hand was also cut off and then he tried to hold the flag he continued to hold the flag this is how brave he was he held the flag in between what was left of his arms then eventually he was killed by one of the kuffar so Ja'far ibn Abi Talib he passed away in this battle as well and the Prophet mentioned regarding the hands of Ja'far that were cut off the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala replaced his hands with two wings that are made of rubies. And he can fly in Jannah with those wings wherever he wants. And that is why he is known as Ja'far At-Tayyar radiallahu Ja'far, the one who flies because he has these two wings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him. After Ja'far radiallahu anhu was killed, the third commander Abdullah ibn Rawaha took the flag as per the instructions of the Prophet but Abdullah ibn Rawaha when he took the flag he hesitated for a minute because he knew that taking command and taking the flag it, it means certain death because they are so vastly outnumbered and he saw that Zayd was killed and Ja'far was killed so he knew that taking the flag this is like a guarantee that he will be killed as well so he hesitated for a second he hesitated for a moment, but then he fought that hesitation and he went on and he fought bravely. And he fought and fought and fought and he was able to inflict heavy casualties upon the kuffar as well. But eventually he was killed as well. So all three of the men that the Prophet ﷺ named as commanders, Zayd ibn al-Haritha, Ja'far ibn Abi Talib and Abdullah ibn Rawaha, all of them were killed on the sixth day of fighting in the battle of Mu'tah. That day, the Prophet ﷺ prayed Salatul Fajr in Medina. That same day, the Prophet ﷺ prayed Salatul Fajr in Medina. And after the Salah, he gathered the people. He gathered the people of Medina. And he started informing them of what was happening at Mu'tah. He was getting live revelation regarding what was happening at Mu'tah. And he was informing the people of Medina as it was happening. So he informed them that Zayd was killed radiallahu and that then Ja'far took the flag and then he was also killed and then Abdullah also took the flag and he was also killed radiallahu anhum ajma'in. The Prophet sallallahu is narrating this to the companions and then he mentioned that he can see all three of their beds in Jannah. He can see the bed of Zayd ibn al-Haritha and the bed of Ja'far Ibn Abi Talib and he can also see the bed of Abdullah ibn Rawaha all three of those beds in Jannah but he said the bed of Abdullah ibn Rawaha is a little bit far away from the other two beds from the bed of Zayd and the bed of Ja'far so the Prophet was asked why Ya Rasulullah why is Abdullah ibn Rawaha's bed a little farther away from the other two beds and the Prophet said because of that 
slight hesitation that he had. He hesitated for a moment before he fought after he took the flag. So it shows you that everything counts. Of course, Zayd, Zayd and Ja'far and Abdullah, all three of them are great martyrs and all three of them are in Jannah. But it just goes to show that every little thing counts. Radiallahu anhum ajma'een. So now that all three of these commanders that the Prophet ﷺ had named, now that all three of them had been martyred, it was up to the Muslims to decide who would take the command next. So after Abdullah ibn Rawaha was killed, for a moment there was chaos amongst the Muslims because they didn't know. Now they don't have a commander, they don't know what to do. So they're running here and there and they don't know what to do. It's completely disorganized. Then Thabit ibn Akram an, the same one, who gave them that pep talk before and he reminded them of the battle of Badr. Thabit ibn Akram radiallahu an. In all the chaos that was going on, he took the flag. He took the flag. And he went to Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu an. And he said, Ya Khalid, you take the flag. And Khalid radiallahu an said to Thabit, Ya Thabit, you are better than me. You have been a Muslim for longer than me. You participated in Badr. You are older than me. You are more honorable than me. You should take it. And Thabit said, no. You are the most qualified person to take this flag. You are a person who knows the strategies of war. There is no one better amongst us now other than you who can take the command. So Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu an, Sayfullah, the sword of Allah, he took the flag and he took command of the Muslim army. When Khalid took command, he quickly reorganized the army. He quickly reorganized the army and they continued to fight. And the Prophet ﷺ received revelation that now Khalid has taken the flag and he has taken command and he informed his companions in Medina. He said, now one of the swords from the swords of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken the flag, he has taken command. And intense fighting continued under the command of Khalid ibn al-Walid until nightfall came and then both sides retreated to their camps. So now Khalid, after his army had retreated back to their camps and it was time to think of what the strategy will be for the next day, Khalid decided that the best thing to do is we should retreat, we should go back to Medina because we are so vastly outnumbered. Even if we inflict heavy casualties upon them, their numbers are so much that the best thing for us and the safest thing for us so that we all don't get killed, the safest thing is to do a strategic retreat and go back to al Madinah. So this was the, the idea of Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu an. But he also knew that retreating would be very dangerous. If they retreat in a normal way and the Kuffar army sees that they're retreating, they could attack them while they are retreating. And if they attack them while they're retreating, they could annihilate all of them. They could kill all of them. So Khalid knew this, that there's a danger in retreating, especially against such a huge army. So he decided to make a plan to do a strategic retreat in such a way that the kuffar wouldn't even realize that this is a real retreat. And Khalid ibn al-Walid, he was a military genius. And his strategies and his planning was just amazing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him this skill. So that whole night, after the sixth day, before the seventh day, that whole night, Khalid ibn al-Walid, he stayed up 
to strategize and to plan what to do on the seventh day, what to do on the next day. So what did Khalid ibn al-Walid decide to do? Remember we said that the army is in five sections. There's a front, there's a back, there's a right flank, there's a left flank, and there is the middle. So for these six days that the Muslims had been fighting, the positions of the soldiers were the same. So the right flank, the left flank, the front, the back, the middle, it had been the same people in each position for all of these six days. So Khalid ibn al-Walid, he said, okay, now, the seventh day, we're going to change it. The people who are on the right, now they're going to be on the left. The people who are on the left, now they're going to be on the right. The people who are in the front, now they're going to be in the back. The people who are in the back, now they're going to be in the front. He wanted to change the faces so that when the kuffar see them, they will not recognize these people and they will think that the Prophet ﷺ has sent reinforcements. This was the thinking of Khalid ibn al-Walid. Also, he changed the flags. The flags that they had, he changed the design and the looks of those flags. So it would look like new people had come in with different flags. Also, he ordered some of the horsemen of the Muslim army to go back, to go a far distance back. And when the fighting starts, to come forward at a high speed and produce a lot of dust from the dirt. So it will look like a huge cavalry is coming from behind. That the Prophet ﷺ has sent a huge cavalry of horsemen from behind. So come from the back and make this big cloud of dust when you're coming. And when you're coming, loudly proclaim takbir. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. So this was the strategy of Khalid ibn al-Walid to make the kuffar think that the Muslim army had received reinforcements. So now, on the next day, the seventh day of fighting, the kuffar came out and they saw the Muslim army and they didn't recognize anyone. It looks like these are all new people. They didn't recognize any of the faces. So they thought that the reinforcements of the Muslims had arrived and they got scared. They thought to themselves, six days of fighting and they're only 3,000 and we are 200,000 and they have inflicted so many casualties upon us. Now there are more of them. How are we going to do this? They got scared. And then the horsemen started to come from behind as Khalid had instructed. They started to come from behind saying, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, loudly. And this dust cloud came up. So now they saw that and they thought, oh, he has sent a huge amount of horsemen as reinforcements as well. So they started to get scared. And Khalid he took advantage of this fear and he attacked them. And he ordered his people to continue to attack. So the Muslims attacked. And Khalid himself, he was fighting as well. And he fought valiantly. And the style of Khalid ibn al-Walid in fighting, it was a different style. Different than the other people and the other companions. Most companions, they would fight with a sword in one hand and a shield in the other hand. A sword in one hand and a shield in the other hand. But this was not Khalid's style. Khalid didn't used to carry a shield with him. Rather, he would carry two swords, one in each hand, and he would fight with both swords at the same time. This was the style of Khalid ibn al-Walid. And there were only two of the companions who fought like this with two swords instead of a sword and a shield. It's Khalid ibn al-Walid and Az-Zubair ibn Awam radiallahu anhumah. So these two companions, they had their own style of fighting with two swords. 
one sword in each hand instead of a sword and a shield. So Khalid radiallahu an fighting the kuffar with two swords at the same time. And just to get an idea about the intensity of this battle, Khalid narrated that on that day, on the day of Mu'tah, he broke nine swords. He broke nine swords fighting the kuffar. And there was only one sword of his that didn't break, and that was a safiha, Yemeniya, a Yemeni wide sword. That was the only sword that was strong enough to take all of the fighting. And other than that, he broke nine swords in this battle. So the kuffar, they were very scared. And they started going back and back and retreating. And when they would see the face of Khalid, it's like they, they would see death. Like death is staring them in their face. Khalid, in their eyes, it was death. So they got scared and they started retreating. And the Muslims were able to go forward such to the extent that they reached around the personal security of the king of the Ghassasina, the ruler of the Ghassasina. So they, they reached towards the front of their army. And the kuffar are scared. And then suddenly, Khalid radiallahu anhu, he starts to retreat, he starts to go back. And the Muslims, they start to go back. Now the kuffar are very confused. He was attacking and he came so close and now suddenly he is retreating. And they thought to themselves, no, this has to be some type of a trick. This has to be some type of a trick. We will not follow them. Don't go after them. This is some type of a trick. They want you to follow them because he has something planned. So we will not follow them. So Khalid radiallahu an and the Muslims, they retreat. And they are able to retreat back to their camp and then they are able to go back to Medina without any fear. The kuffar, they didn't follow them and they didn't go after them and they didn't attack them because they feared that this was some type of a plot or some type of a strategic maneuver by Khalid ibn al-Walid and it was some type of a trap that he had set. They didn't think that this was a real retreat. But in actuality, it was a real retreat. But it just shows the military genius of Khalid ibn al-Walid. He was able to retreat with his men to not suffer more casualties while the kuffar would not even realize that this is a retreat, so they would not follow them. So this is how Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu anhu, he saved the rest of his men, and they went back to al-Madinah. So even though the Muslims did not defeat the Ghassasina in this battle, they did not defeat the Ghassasina, they still were able to hold their own, alhamdulillah, and they struck fear. They struck fear into the hearts of the kuffar. So when they returned back to Medina, actually the children of Medina and the women of Medina, they were very upset with this army. Why did you come back? Why did you come back? So the, some of the children actually were throwing stones at them and saying, you are furrar. You are people who abandoned the battlefield. So they didn't really understand what the whole situation was. But they were very upset at this. There was actually one woman, one woman from the Sahaba who didn't allow her husband to come back in the home. When he wanted to come back in the home, she said, no, you cannot enter the home. You ran away from the battle. So this is how seriously they took this. But they didn't run away from the battlefield. It was a strategic retreat. So they started calling this army Al-Furrar. You are the people who abandoned the battlefield. But then the Prophet ﷺ said, no, they are not Furrar. Laysu bil Furrar wa innahum kurrar. لَيْسُوا بِالْفُرَّارِ وَإِنَّهُمْ كُرَّارِ 
They are not people who run away from the battlefield. Rather, they are the attackers. They are the people who attacked the kuffar. So the Prophet ﷺ gave them this tazkiyah. He gave them this praise. So this was the battle of Mu'tah, which took place in the eighth year of the Hijrah. So we'll stop there for today, inshallah, and next week we'll continue with the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, inshallah. وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين